Reading from Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7. This is God's message to us hundreds of years, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establish and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The words of God for the people of God. Amen. Thank you, John. And you can have a seat. This Advent, we've been talking about what's in a name. And like Pastor John was referring to, uh, 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, the prophet Isaiah wrote, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be behind his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And today we want to look at this child who would be born, the son who would be given as the Prince of Peace. And right, right away, I mean, the name Prince of Peace tells us that this child is God. I mean, like I've been saying, what parent would give their kid the name Wonderful Counselor? Or to name their kid Mighty God? Or name their kid Everlasting Father? Or Prince of Peace? Man, if these names don't point to deity, I don't know what does. Prince of Peace. I'll tell you what. When you think of all the turmoil in our country right now, and all the turmoil since 9-11, and the shootings in the schools and the churches and synagogues, you know, when you think of the war in, against terrorism, you know, we had the death of Saddam Hussein a while back, and Osama bin Laden, unrest in Afghanistan and Iraq, and Iran, and when you think about what's going on, uh, <clears throat> like the war in, in Jerusalem, you know, the city of peace, and you think about what's going on in families, fractured families, you know, messed up marriages, broken relationships. James talks about conflicts and fights and quarrels that come from the desires that battle within us. And when you think of all the turmoil, you got to think, yeah, this is what we need. We need the Prince of Peace. I love that old Norwegian poet and philosophy, philosopher, Jorgi Jorgensen. He said, uh, I, Christmas is a time to hug and to kiss my wife's mother. The rest of the year, we don't speak to each other. Isn't that the way it is sometimes? We don't talk to people. Sometimes we ignore people. We don't respect people. You got a problem. Then old Jorgi, he said this. He goes, uh, I just go nuts at Christmas. What a yolly holiday. I go in the red like a knucklehead, and I squander all my pay. And he said, about midnight, I turn on the radio, and Gabriel Heather is saying, peace on earth, everybody, goodwill toward men. And just at that moment, someone slugs Uncle Ben. What a timely topic. Prince of peace. Sar Shalom. Sar. The Hebrew word for prince means one in charge, ruler, conductor. Shalom can mean not only peace, but soundness, 
completeness, wholeness, order, safety, security, assurance. This little child that was born, the son that was given, would be the one in charge of security. He'd be the ruler of safety, the conductor of order and completeness, Sar Shalom, the prince of peace. Eventually, Shalom came to mean salvation. As did its counterpart in the New Testament, the word for peace in the New Testament is the Greek word arene. Arene is where we get the name Irene from. My mom's name is Irene, and it means peace. Irene, like shalom, is used for salvation. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have Irene. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Irene literally means to bind together. You see, we can be bound together with God. We can have peace with God only because this peace child, this one who is the prince of peace, the Sar Shalom. I want to take you on a trip today, kind of a tour through the Bible. I know it looks real long in the outline. You're thinking, we're going to be here all day. No, we won't. Prince of peace, as we look into this name, And I don't know about you, but I really get excited about the Bible. I get excited about Scripture, about digging into God's Word, seeing how it all fits together. It just thrills me. I mean, if you were to take a a trip from Minneapolis to Fargo, like my daughter's going to do in just about an hour, she's flying into Minneapolis with her boyfriend, she's taking a bus, and it's going to stop at different places before it gets here to Fargo. Well, in the same way, we're going to stop at different places in Scripture And look at this word, peace. Stop number one. Way back in the book of Judges, chapter 6, verse 23 and 24. Gideon, he was afraid. The Lord said to him, peace, don't be afraid. Because of that, Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. And when you think of the Lord, do you think of peace? Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Stop number two. It's Ezekiel, the prophets speak of a covenant of peace, a future covenant. Listen to this prophecy, but before I read this, let me explain that the Messiah was often called David because he is David's descendant. Listen to Ezekiel 37, 24 to 27. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I give to my servant Jacob, the land where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Hey, that that covenant of peace, it's called the new covenant. Jesus said it's the covenant of my blood, and it happened on the cross, which leads us to stop number three. Listen to the great benediction in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. It says, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, there it is, that covenant of peace that the prophets spoke about. Now back to the prophets, stop number four, Zechariah, chapter nine, verse nine and 10, also points ahead to Jesus. Listen, 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. He will proclaim peace to the nations. Did not Jesus ride into Jerusalem on a donkey the Sunday before he was crucified? It really happened. The Prince of Peace. He's proclaiming peace in Jerusalem, the city of peace. Step no, stop number five, Micah 5.2. It was written 500 years before the birth of Jesus, and yet it proclaims where Jesus would be born. Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be Sar, ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And then in verse 4 it says, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Did you catch that? He will be their peace. I mean, this is the one who would be born in Bethlehem. Stop number six. Luke chapter two, verse 14. Then it happened. God actually became a human without ceasing to be God. This wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father, and this prince of peace that we've been talking about was born of the Virgin Mary. And out on that Judean hillside, The sky was ablaze with glory when this great company of heavenly hosts appeared and said, glory to God in the highest end on earth, what? Peace. Peace. Stop number seven. 30 years later, Mark, Jesus was asleep on a cushion in the stern of a boat. You remember. A storm came up. The waves were breaking over the boat. The disciples were petrified. They woke up Jesus and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And in Mark 4.39, we read that Jesus got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, peace, be still. The disciples, they were amazed. And they said, wow, even the wind and the waves obey him. Little did they know, he was the Tsar, the prince, the one who's in charge, the one who's in control. Stop number eight. John 14, 27, the night before Jesus was crucified, remember he said these words found in the Gospel of John, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I don't give to you as the world gives, don't let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You see, the peace that Jesus gives is not the same as the world gives. We're talking two different kinds of peace. Stop number nine, John 16, 33, Jesus said, You know, I've told you these things so that in me, remember those two words, in me, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Did you catch that? So that in me, you may have peace. There is no real peace apart from Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of trouble, we can have peace. I've been reading about the early reign covenant church in China in these days, they're being persecuted. Some of their pastors are being put into jail. 500 of this people of this church are being persecuted right now in 2018 in China. But they have peace in the midst of persecution. Stop number 10. 
That first resurrection Sunday, the disciples were hiding. Remember, the doors were locked. Jesus and his resurrected body stood among them. And the first word that came out of his mouth was peace. John 20, 19, peace be with you. Stop number 11. Acts chapter 10. Remember when Peter was preaching the gospel at that God-fearing Italian's house? One of my favorite guys in scripture, his name was Cornelius. Remember that? Cornelius' house, Acts chapter 10, verse 36. He said, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of what? Telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. There it is again, peace through Jesus, who is Tsar over all. In the Greek, it's Kyrios, Kyrios over all, Lord over all. Stop number 12, Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul wrote that Jesus made it so we could not only have peace with God, but we could have peace with one another. Only because of the cross. Only because of the blood of Jesus. Listen to Ephesians 13, or 2.13. But now in Christ, you who are once far away, that is the Gentiles, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Now listen, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Isn't that neat? Because of the blood of Christ, we can not only have peace with God, but we can have peace with everyone else who is in Christ. Peace with God, peace with others. Stop number 13. The Bible says, when the prince of peace is living in our hearts, then we're going to experience peace. Like the fruit of the Spirit, you know, is love, joy, and what? Peace. And because we have experienced peace, we want others to experience peace too. So in Matthew 5, 9, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Stop number 14, Paul wrote to the Romans, chapter 12, verse 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And stop number 15, Philippians 4, 7, and 9. Philippians says, don't be anxious about anything. Pray about it. And what will happen? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, the peace of God will be in you. And then verse 9 says, the God of peace will be with you. The peace of God will be in you, and the God of peace will be with you. Stop number 16, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Paul prays. For the church at Thessalonica, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't this awesome? I mean, the Prince of Peace is Jehovah Shalom, 
who was mocked as the king of the Jews, who will return one day as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he will crack the eastern sky and his feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, that city of peace, and he will rule for a thousand years in that millennial kingdom of peace where the lion is going to lay down with the lamb. And then he shall reign forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Revelation 19. My question for us today, is this Prince of Peace ruling in your heart? Is this Prince of Peace ruling in your relationships? You can have an absence of conflict and still not have peace. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You can get along with everybody and still not have peace. You can have a world without war and still not have peace. Why? Because peace is more than the absence of conflict. It's the presence of God. Because if Jesus Christ is not first in your life, if the Prince of Peace is not on the throne of your heart, there is no real peace, there is no shalom, there is no wholeness, no completeness, there's no order, there's no security, there's no harmony, there's no safety, there's no salvation, there's no arene. There's no real binding together with God. There's no binding together with each other. Do you hear what Jesus said? I've told you these things so that in me, in me, in me, you might have peace. There's no real peace without Jesus. The Prince of Peace, he is the Sar Shalom. Jesus is our peace. Is he your peace? Don Richardson and his wife Carol wrote a book way back, I think in the 60s or 70s, about his missionary endeavors. They were missionaries in the mid-60s to a Stone Age people called the Sawi people in New Guinea. These people were basically headhunters and were unable to read and unable to write. These people believed that treachery was man's highest value and the best feast was to eat your enemies. Shortly after Don and Carol settled uh, with this tribe, an enemy tribe up the river befriended a warrior from the tribe where Don and Carol lived. Let's name the warrior Adam. The enemy tribe convinced Adam that he could be the peacemaker between the two tribes. And Adam became kind of proud of his exalted status with the enemies up the river. They would welcome him and carefully listen uh, to his every word. And one day at a special feast, Adam was killed, roasted, and eaten. Treachery was their highest value. Don and Carol Richardson worked hard to learn the language and the customs of this tribe that they lived with. They were frustrated that they couldn't get them to understand the story of Jesus coming to earth to die for their sins. And the tribe loved the story of the crucifixion of Jesus especially the part about Jesus' betrayal and his crucifixion. At this point, they hung on Don's every word, just waiting with eager anticipation for the part where Judas gave Jesus the kiss of betrayal. And they shouted with glee, and they clapped for Judas. 
Don and Carol prayed that God would show them a way to convey the true message of Christmas in a form that these people would understand. And then one day the opportunity came in a manner that they didn't expect at all. The tribe up the river attacked the tribe Don was living with. For weeks they fought and killed each other. And finally Don said to the leaders of the tribe, if you don't stop fighting, we're going to leave your tribe. And that was a serious threat to them. They liked Carol's medical care. And they liked Don's modern tools. All their axes and knives were made out of stone. Plus, the presence of the White family gave them status. The chief of Don's and Carol's tribe realized that he had to pay the price for peace. And one day, Don watched the warriors of the warring tribes form a line opposite each other, kind of like Red Rover, Red Rover. And the chief of this tribe took his newborn son from the arms of his wife. She sank to the ground, wailing, really, in uncontrollable grief. Then the chief walked down the line of his warriors, and each of them put their hands on his first little newborn child. And with determination and resolve, the chief walked across the open space between the two warring tribes. He stood face to face with the enemy chief, and he placed his son in the arms of his enemy. With the baby in his arms, the enemy chief walked down the line of his warriors. And in full view of the father and the father's tribe, each enemy warrior placed his hands on the baby boy. Next, the warriors turned and disappeared in the bush with the infant, and the baby was gone, never to be returned to its grieving parents. And the Richardsons wondered what the ceremony meant. And then one day the chief said to them, I offered my son as the peace child for our tribes. As long as my son lives, there will be peace between our tribes. And if he dies, war will resume. Anyone who kills a peace child will himself be killed. And Don pondered the significance of that ceremony. And in a flash of insight, he realized the chief was giving him kind of the cultural key that would open the Stone Age people to the truth about Jesus Christ. And one day, Don gathered the elders together, and he told them the story of God's peace child. And Don spoke of the war that rages between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. And Romans 5.10, he read, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. And Don read what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, 6. The mind of sinful man is hostile to God. The truth is, we don't want to do what God tells us to do. We want our own way. And then next, Don shared how God, our Heavenly Father, sent Jesus to earth as his peace child to make peace between God and man. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And just as the warriors put their hands on the chief's little son as a sign that they accepted this little boy as their peace child, so we by faith receive Jesus into our lives to show that we are at peace with God. The difference in the stories is that God's peace child lives Forever. If the chief had not given his son 
the tribes would have kept fighting and warriors would kept on dying. Death is the wages that sin pays. The apostle Paul reminds us for the wages of sin, that's disobedience and rebellion. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6.23. Because of our sin, we deserve to die. We should have been hanging on the cross, but instead Jesus took our place, he took our punishment. Again, listen, 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah wrote, not in chapter nine or chapter 11, but in chapter 53, he wrote, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Do you wanna be healed today? Do you want that peace, being connected, you know, bound together with God in this personal relationship? It's this peace relationship with God that will produce every other kind of peace in your life. I think I wrote in a bulletin, N-O, no Jesus, N-O, no peace. No, K-N-O, W, no Jesus, no peace. Peace with God is not something we can earn through our good deeds. It's a gift that we freely receive. The Bible says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Peace among the tribes in New Guinea was bought by the gift of the peace child. Each warrior indicated his willingness to receive the gift by placing his hands on the peace child. And today, I just want to invite you to symbolically reach out your hand and touch the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that there's any magic in like touching a, a baby doll, but what that doll represents, Jesus Christ, who would grow up to be a man and live a life that you can't live and die a death that you cannot die. It's saying, I believe, Jesus, that you are the Son of God and that you died for my sins. And I believe that you're my only peace child. You're the only way I can have peace with God the Father. So I want to invite you to just say thank you for being my peace child. Thank you for taking my punishment for my sin and dying on the cross for me. For some of you, the greatest war going on right now is not uh, the war of politics. It's not going on across the ocean somewhere in a distant land. The greatest war right now that's going on for you, it's going on right now in your heart. You're trying to decide whether to accept Jesus or not. You may have sit in this church for years, but you do not know the Lord. And you're given a chance today to accept the peace child, to commit your life to him. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We just thank you for your goodness and for your grace that you are our peace in me, you said. You can have peace. And Father, I pray for those who have not surrendered to you fully. And I pray that today would be the day. In their heart, they'd say to you in prayer, God, I am, 
I am so sorry. I've been at war with you. I've been your enemy. I thank you that you loved me while I was your enemy. While I had my back toward you, God, you still loved me. You chased after me, not to punish me for what I've done, but to save me from what I've done. And you gave us your one and only son so that we can have peace. Father, I'm so sorry, but I thank you for everything that you've done for me, Jesus, that you hung on the cross for me, that you died in my place, that somehow, in some way, all the sins of the world were placed upon you, and I believe that, and I accept what you've done for me. And I just say, please, Lord Jesus, come into my life and be my peace. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity to bring our tithes and our offering to you. And I pray that some here today might even bring themselves to you. Maybe for the first time in a public way, just to walk down here and just put their hand on this doll that represents the baby Jesus, knowing that this baby would grow up and fulfill the purpose for which he came to earth, and that is to die for us. So Lord, as we put our money in the plate, symbol and sacrifice of our love for you, an acknowledgement of what you've done for us and that everything that we have is is from you, that maybe, Lord, somebody would just come say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm wanting to declare my faith in this way. So, Lord, I pray that you would be our peace. Oh, come, let us adore him, church. Let us really adore him. Let us love the Lord with all of our heart and mind, soul, and strength, and let's love our neighbor as ourselves. In Jesus' name. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that he is Lord, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Jesus is Lord.